This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Monday, 6th of February, 2023, and developments coming fast and furious on Friday. So we have a ridiculously strong U.S. jobs report that 517K payrolls growth, not what the market was looking for. Quite a shocker. Uh, a lot of people are out looking at uh, how this could be. There are some explanations around that. If you're not a believer that the U.S. jobs market is strong, there was a huge surge in part-time jobs, and, I, and I'll get to more on that in a moment. But it was a bit hard to, to you know, take anything away from this other than that it was a very strong uh, report. You had a, also the household survey surging some 900K, uh, which meant that even though the participation rate ticked up 0.1%, that the unemployment rate was able to fall to a not an all-time low, but the, basically the low since 1969, so same difference, to 3.4%. Uh, there was a big uptick in the average weekly hours, which actually made that uh, rather modest beat on the average hourly earnings. Uh, actually, quite a bit uh, interesting because uh, obviously that uh, watered down the uh, the denominator, meaning that average hourly earnings supposedly uh, per hour grew uh, more than expected. So, and then later we had the ISM services uh, for January fifty five point two versus the uh, what was it fifty point something expected, and that was after that very odd print. And I I think at the time we sort of highlighted this was very odd that the the, the December number dropped so much from November all the way down to forty nine point two was a, really a shocker and was such a large shocker, in fact, that it, it just didn't look right. And in, uh, in retrospect, I think uh, maybe that was the weird number and that this January number simply is unchanged from November. So you almost need to just skip the November number, uh, or sorry, the December number entirely. Nonetheless, there were uh, some strong points like the new orders going to 60.4 uh, versus 45.2 in December. It just leads me to believe that I think this survey is is a bit dodgy, to say the least, this uh, ISM services survey, and I'm, I'm really unwilling to do much of a takeaway from it from now on. Uh, let's uh, look, though, at what happened in terms of the market reaction, and that's really the interesting part. And we saw, no big surprise, a big jump in the U.S. Treasuries all along the yield curve, especially at the front end, as they're having to take the Fed more seriously on its dot plot forecasts. And this inverted the two tens. Uh, to uh, back to negative 80 basis points, not getting far there from the extreme of I think it was minus 84 basis points was the most profoundly uh, we've seen the yield curve inverted for those two um, maturities. And good news for the economy, strong economy is bad news for equities because it changes the longer term interest rates, which also bumped a bit higher. And so we see the the US uh, equity markets retreating a bit, as you can see on slide two, and I put up a, uh, a Bloomberg uh, cash that uh, index there. That's the SPX because I think it gives a better sense of the technicals. And you can see that 4,100 level is really clearly etched on the cash index as important support here. So we've retreated, but it's not a devastating blow just yet. Um, Peter, what uh, was your read on in terms of the market reaction? And, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, as well just the, the general struggle there is here to, to get a read on all of this U.S. data. Yeah, I think the what happened on Friday added to the – very low signal to noise ratio that we're seeing across the uh, the macro the macro indicators uh, they are pointing in all directions i'll get back to that point in a few seconds um, i think the way i look at it now john is that there there might i would say the broad indicators are still suggesting that things in the us are slowing down but then you have these indicators that are that you know that is increasing the probability that maybe we could see a short term uh, cyclical move here in economic growth uh, to the upside, and and that leaves the the market's pricing of the Fed's next move 
cutting policy rates you know further down the road uh, at risk at jeopardy and i think the chinese reopening is really the big the big x factor that makes um, the fed's next move a, a big gambit because if you if the if china really succeeds by uh, you know re-stimulating growth they are putting a lot of credit uh, credit into uh, into the economy right now and if they succeed and we get a cyclical upturn, I mean, the, the market will have to change its pricing a lot. And the Fed might shift its mindset from, you know, we we, uh, we do one here and then we pause and then we and then we see and to a situation where they need to be even more aggressive because financial conditions have eased. The, the easiest they have been in a year. The equity market has been in a very strong uptrend since mid-October and, and now you're getting these numbers. So I, I, I really, I think a lot of people are confused. I feel a bit confused myself. It was a horrible session on Friday because, of, as you said, the, the U.S. 10-year yield really moved as much as it did. If you look at the U.S. equity futures the, in the, on the S&P 500 right now, we're trading below the uh, the open print we had on the um, on the uh, on the on the Wednesday's uh, price session last week. So, in my mind, technically we have a we have a highway all the way uh, down to 4100. If we look at that confusion, I, we I want to highlight on slide three the Eurocoin growth indicator was updated for for january so this is the uh, the real-time gdp activity indicator that the ecb is, is using from bank of italy it uh, it it bounced back into into positive so the european economy was it uh, was it was in a recession that i think is, is pretty clear uh, and uh, maybe that will be quite evident when we get you know the third and fourth revision to the gdp numbers uh, down the road but it clearly a contractory activity levels there but now we're back into growth and then you have that chicago fed national activity index to the right as i've said before some of the weakest activity levels in the us if you strip out the pandemic since 2012 and i, I think it highlights this this confusion john that um, that everyone has that you, you I mean I can give you 20 macro indicators that are suggesting things are accelerating I can easily find you 20 that shows the things that decelerating so what to believe yeah and good point and and you have you know far more clever uh, observers on the economy and, and the data uh, than ourselves somebody like Steph Pomboy I respect a lot of what she has uh, to say on the economy and, and she tracks things of course as well put up a little tweet she put out uh, on slide four there showing. Her confusion, she was looking for a very weak print after the ADP and after some of the other uh, series of data that she looks at, layoffs, small business hiring, et cetera, that she mentions on that tweet there, uh, but does point out that there was a massive surge in the part-time jobs, uh, you know, some 600 plus thousand, I think it was, on the um, on the part-time jobs and another sort of bear on the economy saying, yeah, well, did you, did you realize that actually the number of full-time workers actually dropped for the month? So there's almost anywhere you can look for confirmation bias in either direction. You can also say we just saw a very, very and low uh, weekly jobless claim print last week too. Yeah, and John, I also want to highlight while we're speaking because you, you have obviously being a, you know, our head of epic strategy. Uh, the, uh, you know, the Swedish krona is now falling to the lowest level since 2009 against the euro as we speak right now, and and it, it just feel. I get all the points for why we could be in a single upturn. I also get all the points for why we could be in a downturn. That's the confusion part. But I just it feels it feels odd to me that if if the Chinese reopening was on track, then but why why is the Swedish krona then so weak? That's what I don't get. It's the it's the highest beta together with the German economy and the Netherlands 
to the Chinese reopening and the global economy. I mean, th this is where, unless, as you probably will say now, John, uh, it's because Sweden is galloping into a massive financial crisis because of its uh, real estate market uh, coming down very hard. I, I, I don't know. It's just, again, it's it's maximum confusion. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a very special case. If you also look at it, if we're supposed to be heading towards a global recovery led by China, you would expect that the RBA and Australian rates would be somehow leading the pack, at least among G10 currencies on the policy rates. Instead, they're a good 100 basis points behind and plus behind where the Fed is with their rate hikes. And you have an RBA that's very cautious. They're also looking at a housing market. I think there's a housing market side of, of these smaller open economies that is exceptionally. So even if we do see cyclical strength uh, coming in here, and, and I think some of the commodities market is, like you say, everything's mixed. The commodities market is very mixed. Why, why the heck is uh, crude oil uh, not able to, to catch a more sustained bid? Uh, you know, natural gas is, has collapsed completely in price. A lot of that is, of course, weather-related, but still, the, the longer-term forward prices, at least in the case of crude oil, are, are even lower still. Why are those not anticipating this strength of this recovery uh, with at least a, a flat forward curve for, for um, uh, crude markets rather than being in, in backwardation here? So uh, it is confusing. And and just to, to finally, on, on this note, just pointing out that remarkable unemployment rate print of 3.4% uh, for January, the lowest since 1969. And back then, you only uh, had a very smaller, a much smaller portion of women even in the workforce as that uh, uh, as their arrival in the workforce was moving full steam ahead through the 70s and, and 80s. All right, let's get a little bit more into the market reaction, uh, not just U.S. yields coming up, but the U.S. dollar. And that was especially jarring, again, after the first, the dovish read of the FOMC, which saw the dollar uh, pushed to new lows locally. Then you saw a suddenly uh, far more dovish ECB, which had the dollar uh, retreating uh, back higher or pulling back higher. And then the very strong U.S. data uh, helped uh, higher by U.S. Treasury yields. So we have the dollar effectively neutralized here in terms of our, our trend indicators. You can see on the FX board, huge momentum shift on, on the one week and, and two day uh, for the dollar and, and managing a slightly positive read there. And a, a big jump in dollar yen overnight as we have a report suggesting that uh, one of the more dovish uh, Bank of Japan deputy governors is being considered for an appointment to replace Kuroda in April uh, obviously, that would be seen as a continuity of Kuroda-style politics uh, or, or policy, and uh, Dalian jumped quite a bit. Has retreated a bit, though, because there still is the sort of the, the sense of drift that the Bank of Japan is still moving towards something resembling uh, normality is going to have to shift that yield curve control, uh, etc. So, uh, you know, does this really add any short-term further momentum to the yen downside? I think that will be a bit more up to... Uh, if uh, global yields start to pull more persistently higher, and we we still need to see uh, the you know the writing on the wall and who will replace Corona. As you point out, the Swedish Krona quite weak. The you Norwegian know, Krona weaker still. Uh, I think that's uh, the last ladder of those on the the very weak crude oil prices. And uh, yes, if you look at uh, Sweden, uh, the Riksbank is already signaling they're concerned about the financial system. That means they're going to be slower on rate hikes relative to the rest of the world. And that is uh, also weighing on the Swedish krona. All right, we need to get uh, to earnings, Peter. Uh, we have, there's a lot going on still. There's uh, looking at your earnings calendar there on slide seven. There's quite a few names. We looked a little bit at it as a sneak peek on Friday. But what's your focus in, in terms of the uh, not just the general direction of the equity market, but specific industries and in the earnings reports? Yeah, the, if we look at the earnings calendar today, it's with the um, the Activision Blizzard earnings is the key U.S. earnings focus. We still have this you know, acquisition from from Microsoft of Activision Blizzard, and the U.S. antitrust regulators are hesitant in 
accepting it, uh, sorry, uh, accepting it um, and you have pushback from the from the industry simply because Microsoft is a monopoly and should they now you know consolidate their power even more in the gaming and, and close down and uh, not close down but you know get even more market power across a new industry so that, that I think I'm very curious to see what the management of Activision Blizzard is saying about these matters and then if we look ahead throughout the week point I've highlighted here on slide seven a lot of the blue uh, names in blue so we're fortunate the, the biggest company on revenue in the cybersecurity industry reporting tomorrow in phase energy which has been the best renewable energy stock uh, over the past five years in the US or one of them at least Nintendo super interesting as well because of their very good uh, growth numbers we have BNP Paribas on the French economy and, and credit British Petroleum as well. And then if you look at some of the more cyclical names, AP Muller Maersk and Vestas reporting on, on Wednesday, Siemens on the cyclical side on Thursday, together with ArcelorMittal. And then on the consumer side of things, we have Walt Disney on Wednesday, PepsiCola on Thursday, together with L'Oreal on Thursday as well. A lot of different names. In technology, we have uh, ADN reporting on Wednesday, Uber Technologies on Wednesday. So we, we'll probably go through through some of the names uh, as we progress through the week. I wanted to have put in an, an earnings chart because Friday's earnings number sort of you know closed the week, but it, uh, I just pulled the earnings figures for S&P 500 and they look like there has been some misprint in the data. So I'll, I'll, I'll be waiting one more day before we sort of update our earnings chart. And then I want to go back one slide to slide six, talking about the earnings because we, with the earnings releases we got from Alphabet and, and Amazon, we sort of had the, third, the three big cloud enterprise providers in the world having reported, and they all report uh, segment data on the cloud business. So I wrote this piece, which you can find on analysis.saxo from last week, where I, I looked at the numbers and, and what you can see on slide six is the aggregate year-in-year -year growth rate. And I think those three names are so big that they represent a pretty good estimate and proxy of the overall cloud industry. And you can see how corporate spending on cloud is coming down. I think this is another sign that, of, you know, that it's vindicating uh, the what we observe in the Chicago Fed uh, National Activity Index, that things are slowing down. People are, co corporates are holding back, basically. And uh, I think one more quarter, we'll have the uh, the lowest growth rate in, in more than five years. And then given how high growth rate this industry has been, it probably will be the lowest growth rate uh, in the last 10 years for this industry. So um, things are definitely changing. Uh, and the big question is, have we seen peak growth for this uh, for this big industry? I, I suppose we have. Uh, right. It will continue to grow, but in terms of the growth rate, it has peaked. All right. Interesting stuff. And on the macro calendar, it's a little bit... Um... A mixed bag of how interesting this week could shape up to be, certainly in terms of economic data, not a big one, but in terms of uh, Fed speakers, a very busy week. And we have a couple of interesting interest rate decisions. So we have the Australian RBA up tonight. They're expected to hike 25 basis points. It's not 100% priced in, by the way, so there is uh, some potential for surprise. But the guidance will be very important there with the general theme of, of many of these central banks moving towards uh, signaling that they're getting close to peak rates. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if we get that kind of general message but I'm not sure there's a huge impact on the RBA or unless they do something shocking like, uh, and I would presume that would be a little bit more on the dovish side in terms of uh, the potential for them to surprise rather than the hawker side. But beyond that 25 basis point hike, only about 37 and a half more basis points are priced in. So let's call it a, a maybe two more hikes, maybe only one. Uh, the guidance could let us know. And we have a couple of uh, Bank of England speakers out today. One has already been before this uh, podcast uh, started. And further through the week, though, look at all the Fed speakers. And, and it would have been more interesting had the dollar not come back in so much stronger and U.S. yields popped that much higher to see if they were sort of 
providing more pushback against uh, the market's interpretation of last week's FOMC meeting. It's a little bit of an easier task if the task is just to have be long a bit more credibility on their potential to hike. But it also just goes to show you that it's the data that is more important than their rhetoric uh, after what we saw uh, both Wednesday in terms of the FOMC reaction and then Friday in terms of how the market reacted to incoming data. But let's have a look. Fed Chair Powell speaking tomorrow in an interview with uh, an outfit, I can't remember, New York Economic Club, something like that, and a number of prominent voters also speaking this week. And with Sweden Riksbanken announcement, that is going to be a key risk point as we've talked about with the Swedish krona. Their guidance and concerns around the financial system, not just uh, whether they go with 50 basis points uh, that is expected, but the, but the guidance on the other issues there. That's about it really for this today's podcast. Interesting markets coming to this week after a quite a volatile week last week. Let's see how things settle. Be careful out there and we'll be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>